All right, good morning, everyone. This is Just Human number 195. I am here to do a Friday show. And uh, yeah, I'm here. I'm very allergic. Uh, nature is in bloom here in Virginia, and uh, so are my allergies. So I think this is going to be a show where I am sniffling a lot and, and scratching my nose a lot, but we're going to get through it. Um, I want to cover today the latest developments in the Miles Guo case, the 1MDB case, which Pross Michelle, and um, and then I want to hit the um, hit piece, the smear piece that came out from ProPublica on uh, Justice Thomas, um, because even though we don't like what this piece has to say, I think it's a good idea to be informed on what this piece has to say, and um, we're going to dig into it. So... That's my plan for today. I have a few other smaller news stories I might hit here and there, but uh, those are the those are the big focuses for today. And uh, good morning, zero o'clock. Thank you for the rumble rant. Blessings to you on Good Friday. Oh, that reminds me. Um, so my four year old, we told we told my four year old we were like today's Good Friday, and he goes, yeah, and yesterday was Bad Thursday. <laughs> You're we like, why was Thursday bad? He's like, there was a thunderstorm. Like today is Good Friday, but yesterday was bad Thursday. Toddlers are awesome. Okay, let's go to this right here. And I'm going to be laughing about that all day. It was so unexpected. Bad Thursday. <laughs> Um, okay, let's go to the Pross Michelle stuff. All right, so if, this is some of the news reports. I don't have the transcript. I can't go over this trial like I did the uh, um, the Danchenko trial, but I can pull out some highlights from the press, and uh, we can follow along in that way. Uh, so we have this historic trial of uh, Pross Michelle that is going on in D.C. Uh, it's the fa the rapper from some group called the Fugees. I don't remember that group at all. I don't know who they are, but I'm not. I don't follow that genre of music. So, um, but apparently he's pretty famous, and he's involved in the One MDB scandal, which involves, as I've said before, just about somebody from every element of the world. Nobody is more than a few degrees away from the 1MDB scandal, um, which at its core is about $4.5 billion that was stolen from the Malaysian government, but it was then used for an influence campaign. Um, now, some of the people that are expected to testify or are involved in this case are Leonardo DiCaprio. He testified this week. Uh, Steve Bannon, he has not testified so far. Kim Kardashian and a whole bunch of other celebrities. I think there's there's 40 plus celebrities um, that are tied into this thing because a big chunk of the money was used to try and influence um, and buy favors in Hollywood and to fund movies in Hollywood. Um, the most famous being Wolf of Wall Street, but there were some others too. All the people that are somehow connected to this trial are stemming from one of the big, it's one of the biggest financial scams in history. Um, Pross Michelle is on trial for conspiracy money laundering and acting as an unregistered foreign agent. And the country he was operating as an unregistered foreign agent for was China. 
Federal prosecutors allege Michelle received money from Malaysian businessman Low Tech Joe, or Low Joe, or Joe Low. Those are different conjugations of his name you're going to hear. Most commonly called Joe Low, um, who has been charged with numerous federal crimes relating to pilfering the development fund and himself is a fugitive from justice. He's believed to be hiding in China, but Michelle's trial is will focus on two alleged schemes, okay? Two schemes. One, whether the rapper funneled money from Lowe to the Obama campaign using straw donors, millions of dollars, by the way, and whether he helped Lowe in a plot to influence the Trump White House into deporting Chinese dissident Guo Wenghui. That would be Miles Guo. So these stories tie together, 1MDB and the Pross Michelle trial, and then the story of Miles Guo, who we are, we are also going to c- cover and is right now in the uh, MCTC, the detention center in in Manhattan. Many people connected to this scandal have already pled guilty. Michelle, who faces many years in prison, will be on trial for weeks. His lawyers have said the former rapper was an amateur diplomat and political novice unfamiliar with campaign donation rules, who was only trying to help his country by brokering a deal involving Guo's extradition. At its core, what this case is about is all the offshoot cases and what all the offshoot cases are about. Is the Justice Department trying to hold people accountable for what they describe as massive theft from the Malaysian people? Um, one thing that's really difficult about this, if you're on the prosecution side, is that you need to spell out how this this fraud, this case with Pross Michelle, involves millions of dollars being used to fund the Obama 2012 campaign to a DC jury who probably 90% of them voted for Obama and have a favorable view of Obama. And then you also have that he ran a campaign trying to buy influence with the Trump administration who 90% of them voted against the Trump administration in 2016. So they're not, they're probably not fans of Trump. And so on the one hand, it would be like, ooh, they don't want to convict him and they don't want to acknowledge or deal with, you know, you can turn a journey, a jury off because it has to do with campaign donations to a candidate who they like a whole bunch. But then on the other side, there's the other scheme that has to do with trying to buy favors with the Trump administration who they don't like. And the Trump administration turned them down. So... There's a there's an interesting dynamic there for the prosecution with how they handle this case, and you know there's there's all these names that are going to come up with celebrities um, from Hollywood and the music industry, but also uh, political people like like Bannon. That the prosecution has to be careful how they handle all these things because the jury is going to be sensitive to, and that was one of the things on the questionnaire where some people were trying to get out of it because they were like, I can't. I can't stand Steve Bannon or I can't stand Trump or whatever, or I don't like this Hollywood actor, or I like this Hollywood actor over here a whole lot. And all of those things are going to interfere with a jury's um, ability to be nonpartisan and to judge the case on the merits and the facts, because there's so many celebrities involved that everybody already has an opinion of and a view of. Now, one of the guys that has testified is Elliot Broidy. Very, very corrupt lawyer from uh, DOJ. Um, He testified this week. 
article says a former top Republican fundraiser, Elliot Broidy, who was also a DOJ lawyer, admitted to illegally lobbying the Trump administration on behalf of foreign nationals, described his actions publicly Tuesday for the first time. So since this is the first time he's appeared and talked about what he did since he was since he pled guilty in 2018. Um, da, 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 da. Okay. He describes actions for the first time testifying in court about his failed attempts to quash a federal investigation of a Malaysian financier and to spur U.S. officials to extradite a wealthy Chinese dissident living in New York from Beige, whom Beijing had branded a criminal. Although he could have pocketed up to $75 million in his F if his efforts had succeeded, he told a federal jury he wound up with far less an $8 million retainer, and a $1 million appearance fee for traveling to Thailand for a secret meeting. Broidy, who pleaded guilty in 2020 to conspiring to violate the Foreign Registrations Foreign Registered Agents, uh, Foreign Agents Registration Act, there we go, I got it out, and was later pardoned by President Trump, is cooperating with the Justice Department in criminal cases involving Malaysian financier Low Tech Joe and his associates in the United States. Authorities say Lowe and others profited from the theft of $4.5 billion from Malaysia's sovereign wealth fund. Lowe, 41, is a fugitive, while one of his associates, Prakazrel or Pross, Michelle, the guy on trial, is a former member of the Grammy Award-winning 90s hip-hop group, Fugees. During the 2016 campaign, Broidy, then a Los Angeles-based investor, but a former DOJ lawyer, helped corral big donors to support the Trump campaign. After Trump took office in 2017, Brody was named deputy finance chairman of the Republican National Committee. Testifying for the prosecution Tuesday in Michelle's trial, he told the jury about a labyrinth scheme hatched in 2017 in which he stood to collect $75 million from Lowe in return for illegally using his influence in the Trump administration to ease Lowe's legal woes. Part of the convoluted plan, which Broidy said was brokered by Michelle, involved urging officials to return the dissident Chinese national to Beijing. But the efforts came to naught. Broidy expressed no clear remorse on the witness stand as he described the illegal lobbying in mostly clinical terms. Under questioning by a prosecutor, he repeatedly used phrases such as business opportunity and the deal terms. As for helping Lowe, he referred to leveraging my, quote, my relationships in the administration with the president and others who could be relevant. Authorities have said that Lowe was a leader of a small circle of kleptocrats in Kuala Lumpur who, lo who looted the Malaysian fund known as 1MDB. In the United States, starting in the late 2000s, he spent tens of millions of dollars on wild parties and bestowing lavish gifts on many of the celebrities, actors, musicians, and socialites whom he cultivated as acquaintances. As for Michelle, after the Fuji split up in 97 and his solo career as a rapper waned, he reinvented himself in the 2000s as a private equity investor, eventually becoming a business associate and close companion of Lowe's, according to prosecutors. In 2017, the FBI and the Justice Department were closing in on Lowe, conducting a criminal investigation related to the 1MDB scandal and bringing a major civil action against him, aimed at seizing hundreds of millions of dollars in ill-gotten assets. That was when Lowe turned to Broidy, whom the prosecution described as the fixer. Broidy testified that he, Michelle, and another business associate flew to Thailand in the spring of 2017 to secretly meet with Lowe. 
Broidy said he eventually agreed to lobby the Trump administration, seeking to short-circuit the federal legal actions for a fee of either $50 million or $75 million, depending on how long it took for him to succeed. He told the jury that he tried, through intermediaries, to sway top administration officials into believing it would be detrimental to the U.S.-Malaysia relations for the Justice Department to continue involving itself in the 1MDB matter. He said he tried in vain to arrange for Trump to play a round of golf with then-Malaysian Prime Minister Najib Razak so that Razak could tell Trump that the 1MDB scandal was not significant. Razak was eventually sentenced to prison in Malaysia for his role in the embezzlement. With his efforts failing, Broidy said he met with Lowe again in 2017 in mainland China. He said this meeting included a top Chinese domestic security official. Lowe seemed to think that the Chinese authorities could help him in some way with his legal problems. And because of that, Lowe wanted to please the Chinese. Broidy said Lowe and the security official asked him to use his influence in the Trump administration to secure the extradition of the wealthy Chinese national Guo Wengui, an outspoken critic of China's government, who was living in New York under a temporary visa. The security official described Guo as a criminal, Broidy said. So notice that there's two, this is a, the scheme to influence the Trump administration had two prongs to it. There was the first effort was to try and slow down or stop the Justice Department investigation of the 1MDB scandal. The second part of it was then, which came about in the latter half of 2017, was to lobby the Trump administration to extradite Miles Guo, or Guo Wengui, to China, because he's wanted there on charges of fraud, rape, and uh, something else. He said the official, the Chinese official, promised that in return for Guo being deported, China would release American detainees in its custody and possibly enter into a new cooperation agreement with the United States on cybersecurity issues. Broidy said he conveyed this to various officials in Washington, including at the White House, telling then-Chief of Staff Rince Priebus that extraditing Guo would be, quote, an incredible step forward in U.S.-China relations. But these efforts failed. Ultimately, even though Guo wasn't deported, Michelle received over $70 million from Lowe. According to prosecutors, Guo has since been indicted by a federal grand jury in New York in an unrelated financial fraud case. By April 2018, Brody stepped down from his position with the Republican National Committee after it was reported that he had paid a former Playboy model $1.6 million in return for her silence about a sexual affair. Then, as the FBI investigation into Lowe intensified, he was charged in 2020 with illegal lobbying and pleaded guilty in a deal with prosecutors. The agreement called for him to cooperate with federal prosecutors, and he said he is continuing to do so, despite having been pardoned by Trump. After the pardon, Brody said he signed a new deal with prosecutors, agreeing to maintain his cooperation in return for not being newly charged with different crimes related to illegal lobbying. That's the last paragraph on this article, but it tells you a whole lot. Trump pardoned Elliot Broidy, but there were other crimes that he had that were out there that he could be charged with, 
So Trump pardons him for this one thing. But then he has to go and sign a new cooperation agreement with DOJ to help them in their prosecution of other things. And well, in whatever prosecution they bring him in to help on in an effort to, you know, in an agreement that prevents him from being charged with some other crimes that he could be charged with. So interesting play there. They wanted his cooperation on this. So they pardoned him for one set of crimes, knowing they had another set of crimes they could charge him with if need be. All right. I'm going to skip that part and go to this from Fisher Ames, who is an excellent follow because he posts really good raw research um, without much commentary. Ex-DOJ lawyer tells jury he met with Chinese to further a legal lobbying campaign. You know, it is really interesting to think about what's going on in the news right now with, um, like with China news and, U.S. and U.S. and China tensions and the China balloon coming around and then the situation with Taiwan and then Biden supposedly being in the back pocket of the Chinese. And then you have this ex-DOJ lawyer testifying in this trial about how he was paid to try and influence the U.S. on behalf of the Chinese is this inter it's interesting. I don't know how much these these I mean these jurors are supposed not they're not supposed to watch the news, so they anything like super recent they shouldn't be picking up on, but they're aware of tensions with the Chinese. So it's interesting to think about what they're thinking as they hear from a ex-DOJ lawyer and former Republican National Committee official testify about how he was bribed by the Chinese and uh Joe Lowe to do these things and was paid tens of millions of dollars to do it. It's interesting to think about how they're interpreting that. Um, it's quite the red pill for some of them, I'm sure. All right, so another person, George Higginbotham, testified that he made money on the side while working at DOJ by offering legal advice to Pross Michelle, a longtime friend. Uh-oh, so we had Elliot Broidy testify. And then now we have George Higginbotham, a former U.S. Department of Justice attorney, told a, told a jury on Thursday that he simultaneously worked on behalf of hip-hop artist Pross Michelle as part of an illegal foreign influence campaign to persuade the Trump administration to return a dissident to China. George Higginbotham testified that he made money on the side while working at the Justice Department by offering legal advice to Michelle, a longtime friend. His duties included facilitating some of Michelle's dealings with Joe Lowe, a businessman who prosecutors say embezzled billions of dollars. Higginbotham is the latest witness to testify in this trial. Scroll down, scroll down. Other witnesses so far have included actor Leonardo DiCaprio and former Republican National Committee official Elliot Broidy. Higginbotham said he felt uncomfortable when Michelle asked him to pass along a message to the Chinese embassy in 2017, that the Trump administration was working on their request to extradite dissident Guo Wengui. But he did so anyway, telling the jury he let his friendship with Michelle cloud his judgment. Quote, this could get me in a lot of trouble, he told the jury, he recalled thinking, adding that his actions were definitely outside the official lines. This is... 
Higginbotham's conviction right here from 2018. Here, I'll finish this and then I'll go to that. Higginbotham, who pleaded guilty in 2018 for his role in the foreign influence campaign, testified that the Justice Department investigators later found out about his meetings and questioned him. A few months later, he agreed to fly to Hong Kong for a follow-up meeting with Lowe after Michelle assured him he would have never have to worry about DOJ again. Unfortunately, that is clearly not the case, Higginbotham added. Higginbotham's conduct has since been highlighted in the Department of Defense's Encyclopedia of Ethical Failure. Not, not where you want to end up. All right, so Higginbotham used to be employed by DOJ as a Senior Congressional Affairs Specialist from 2016 to August 2018. He pleaded guilty to one count of conspiracy to make false statements to a bank. In 2017, Higginbotham helped facilitate the transfer of tens of millions of dollars in foreign bank accounts to accounts in the U.S. to finance a lobbying campaign to resolve civil and criminal matters related to the DOJ's investigation of embezzlement and bribery scheme concerning 1MDB. Higginbotham further admitted that another purpose of the lobbying campaign was an attempt to persuade high-level U.S. officials to have a separate foreign national, Miles Guo, removed from the United States and sent back to China. Higginbotham also admitted to working on various fake loan and consulting documents in order to deceive banks and other regulators about the true source and purpose of the money. It's also interesting to think about with this case that the mainstream media they want to cover this case because it's got all your celebrities in it. It's got so much money involved, $4.5 billion. Um, and then it has to do with lobbying the Trump administration and uh, crooked officials in the RNC. So they want to cover it for those reasons, right? But they also want to stay far, far away from it because there's this other scheme of funneling tens of millions of dollars into Obama's 2012 campaign. So they don't really want to report on that and how the Obama campaign got away with all these illegal contributions, but they want to report on it for the other stuff. <laughs> it's also interesting to think about in the context of Miles Guo, because they wanted Miles Guo. I'm gonna grab this first. Okay, yeah. Because they wanted Miles Guo extradited to China, where he's wanted on fraud charges and rape charges and something else. And has been wanted there for a while, and he's been hiding in the US. Well, not hiding, he's been a dissident here in the US. He's definitely not hiding. He's spending hundreds of millions of dollars on homes and cars and penthouses. And he's putting himself out there like he doesn't have anything to worry about. That kind of tells you something. So they wanted him, they wanted him extradited to face charges in China. And the thing is, as, as Burning Bright was talking about the other day on Devolution Power Hour and on Defect, yeah, it was on Devolution Power Hour that the 
the group that that charged Guo and that wants him to come back is Wing Keishan, I think it's how it's pronounced, and it's the anti-corruption element that President Xi started that has been indicting so many people and arresting so many people in China for corruption. And it's difficult to know from over here in the U.S. You really have to study really thoroughly to figure out who the good and bad guys are over there. I think we can all agree that there's a deep state and a swamp in China. And there's certainly a lot of bad people that have been involved in running China. But I don't think everybody's bad. I don't think everybody in China is crooked and corrupt. And so who are the good guys? Are the good guys after Miles? Or are the bad guys after Miles? Where does Miles Guo fit in with all of this? And regardless of whether Miles Guo is actually guilty of what they want him to be extradited for, right? Um, it was still an illegal influence campaign. So whether Miles Guo is actually guilty of the charges that he has in China, it was still an illegal campaign. So that doesn't really have any bearing on whether or not what Pross Michelle was involved in is criminal. It is. Um, but it, it does it does make you wonder, okay, what is that? How does that inform us about these charges that the U.S. has that about the charges Miles Guo has from China and the charges here in the U.S.? Well, here in the U.S., here in the U.S., uh, Miles Guo and his chief of staff uh, Yvette Wang or Yang Ping Wang are in the MCTC. They're in the Metropolitan or the Manhattan uh, prison right now, where. Uh, Epstein was and where Maxwell was. And he's been trying to get out. He's been making filings that he needs to be let out on bail and he's not a flight risk. And he has all these various assurators. Um, and he's, he's made some filings trying to argue that, that he's, sh- it's okay for him to be let out. He wants out on bond and he wants something similar to FTX to Samuel Bankman Freed. And the argument that he and um, his chief of staff, Yang, Yang Ping Wang, um, have been making, Ken Ming Jae is, is out of the country. He's believed to be in the UAE, but not sure. Um, the argument they've been making is, look, Samuel Bankman Freed is out on bond, and he embezzled billions of dollars, and he's wanted on many more counts than what we're wanted on, and you guys let him out. And you let him stay at his parents' house with an ankle monitor, and he has special phones that have key loggers on them, and um, he's restricted from what websites he can go to, but he's able to be at home and detained at home and work with his lawyers from home. He, he's not locked up in a prison. Why are you keeping Miles Guo locked up in a prison? Why are you keeping Yang Ping Wang locked up in, a pr- in prison? And... DOJ has responded, and I'm going to go through this right here to uh, show you some really interesting things because it tells you a lot about Miles Guo, I think. But I want to go ahead and say there's a key difference. I've seen media make this argument that, hey, it's not fair, basically, that, that Miles Guo is being treated so differently than SBF. 
when the crimes that they're alleged to have done are similar similar crimes um as, as far as what the charges are not the specifics but what the charges are and i gotta say that i don't think the case i think it's pretty understandable why they're being treated differently samuel bankman freed isn't a dissident from another country Samuel Bankman Free doesn't have tons of passports and currency and all like all sorts of different types of currency and cash on hand. Samuel Bankman Free doesn't have a giant network of people who he's worked with who are all experts at fleeing countries. Well, not all, but some are experts at getting people out of China or fleeing other countries. Samuel Bankman Freed was out of country when he was indicted was arrested, and then wanted to be extradited to the U.S. He wanted to come to the U.S. And he actually got in an argument with his lawyer while they were in the, uh, what was it, the Bahamas? He got in an argument with his lawyer in court saying, no, I want to go. Like, take this deal and get me out of here. I want to go to the, to the U.S. Because of the prison conditions where he was at. Samuel Bankman Freed has family here with long-time roots, very established, who are American citizens, who put up their house and put up all this other money to get him out on bond. And they themselves are under a number of restrictions involved with keeping him at their house. Miles Guo is a dissident already who has managed to escape another country and has multiple passports, has traveled the world extensively, has money across many, many bank accounts, dozens and dozens of bank accounts, has many friends who have also managed to escape China and other countries and have multiple passports. Um, it's... It, it doesn't have family here. Doesn't have established roots here. He's been in this country for, um, what, like seven years? Maybe a little bit longer. It's a, it's a, it's, it's quite a bit di big difference. And um, Samuel Bankman Freed's co-conspirators have flipped. They were arrested and have flipped on him. Miles Guo's co-conspirators that have been dotted so far, one is missing, is on the run, and then the other two are in prison. So, pretty big difference. And then also, the people that are trying to put up the money to get Miles Guo bailed out, that are trying to put up property or cash or whatever to try and pay his bond because his assets that he has access to in the U S are frozen right now. Um, they're under they're persons of interest in the case. Many of them are either investors in the fraudulent companies that Guo set up, or they were involved in promoting those companies in some way and maybe co-conspirators or they're benefactors of those things. They got money. Um, and profited off of Miles Guo's fraud. So, I mean, for the, all those reasons, it's a very different situation. And you can't really look at one and say, oh, claim the other one is unfair.
Now, this filing is from DOJ telling the court this is why we're not we shouldn't let Guo out on bond and needs to remain locked up. All right, so the overview from at least in or about 2018 to at least in or about March 2023. Ho Wan Kwok, aka Miles Guo, aka Miles Kwok, aka Guo Wen Gui, aka Brother Seven, aka the principal. Guys, I I would I don't I don't trust people. I don't trust people who have seven names. Do you? Like, if you have like one or two nicknames, I think it's all right. But when you have seven different aliases, how many is that? That's one name and then one, two, three, four, five. Okay, five. Five different names. Five aliases. I think that's concerning. <laughs> I don't trust anybody that has that many aliases. <laughs> Unless, yeah, yeah, no, I don't. I don't trust anybody who has that many. All right. William J or Ken Ming J and then Yang Ping Wang or AK Yvette. They're the defendants, but it, they reiterate here. Others known and unknown. There's going to be more indictments. I'm telling you right now, there are going to be more indictments on this case. This is just the start. These people conspired to defraud thousands of victims of more than $1 billion, including victims located in the SDNY, and their co-conspirators operated through a series of complex, fraudulent, and fictitious businesses and investment opportunities that connected dozens of interrelated entities, which allowed the defendants and their co-conspirators to solicit, launder, and misappropriate victim funds. Miles Guo, William J., and Yvette Wang, the defendants and their co-conspirators took advantage of Kwok or Guo, his prolific online presence, and hundreds of thousands of online followers to solicit investments in various entities and programs by promising outsized financial returns and other benefits. The entities and programs used in the scheme included those known as GTV, G Clubs, G Music, G Fashion, the Himalaya Exchange, and others. In truth and in fact, Guo, Jay, and Wang well knew the entities were instrumentalities of theirs created and used to perpetuate their fraud and exploit Guo's followers. The scheme allowed Guo, Jay, and Wang to enrich themselves, their family members, and their co-conspirators, and to fund Guo's extravagant lifestyle. I'm going to go ahead and say that Anybody who benefited from this scheme is probably going to get indicted. So family members and then whoever was benefiting from GTV, G Music, Himalaya Exchange, good chance they're also going to get indicted for this. As part of the scheme, Guo, Jay, and Wang, the defendants and their co-conspirators, more indictments coming, laundered hundreds of millions of dollars of fraud proceeds. To conceal the illegal source of the funds, they transferred and directed the transfer of money into and through more than 500 accounts held in the names of at least 80 different entities or individuals. And go ahead and say that, like, how, how do you... 
How do you defend that? They took money from investors and donors and subscribers to entities like GTV and Himalaya Exchange and these other things. They then took the money out of the accounts for those businesses. They spread that money across more than 500 bank accounts that were under 80 different entities or names. And then they took that money out of those accounts and transferred it to other accounts, including accounts in the United States, Bahamas, and the UAE, and other places, and held the money in companies owned by different names. And then they sent the money to the family accounts of Guo and other members of their families so that they could directly benefit and go out and buy expensive cars and real estate and clothes and mattresses and whatever else. The defendants used more than approximately $300 million of the fraudulent scheme's proceeds to their benefit and their family's benefit. For example, Guo used fraudulently obtained victim money to purchase, fund, and finance a $26.5 million purchase of an approximately 50,000 square foot mansion in New Jersey. I've seen the pictures of this mansion. It is opulent. They also bought luxury vehicles, including an approximately $3.5 million Ferrari, not for Guo, but for one of his family members, and approximately a $37 million luxury yacht, the yacht that Steve Bannon was arrested on, they used, that was used by Guo and his family in the purchase name of Guo's family members. They bought a piano worth $140,000, a mattress worth $36,000, which I'm going to show you, and a $100 million investment in high-risk hedge funds for the ultimate benefit of one of the relatives. They also just threw money into their own personal bank accounts, of course. They ran the scheme for years and continued to do so up until um, March of this year when they were indicted. So, you know, you could, one argument that maybe could be made as well, you know, this looks really bad, but it was just in the beginning of them setting up the businesses. They needed to create a bunch of accounts to try and help them set up the business, maybe. And they had a bunch of different people working and they moved the money around a lot because they were doing different things with it. But it was just in the beginning. And now they got it all straightened out. No, they've been running the scheme this way for years. This wasn't a temporary situation. This wasn't a anything like like that, you know, like they weren't they weren't trying to. um It wasn't just a temporary mishandling of funds or anything. It, this is the scheme. This was the scheme. You put up these fake business fronts and you prey on people's desires to quote unquote fight the CCP. They're preying upon the people who are dissidents here in the US and taking their money and taking investors' money and laundering it through all these various bank accounts and entities back into their own personal accounts. At all relevant times, Miles Guo was the leader and the and directed the scheme. 
Guo is an exiled Chinese businessman who fled to the United States in or about 2015 and purchased a penthouse in New York for approximately $67.5 million. Starting at least in or about 2017, Guo, who then purported to be a billionaire, garnered a substantial online following. Guo granted numerous media interviews and posted on social media claiming to advance a movement against the Chinese Communist Party. In or about 2018, Guo founded two purported nonprofit organizations, namely the Rule of Law Foundation and the Rule of Law Society. The Rule of Law Society's website lists Guo as founder, promoter, and a spokesperson. Both organizations feature photographs of Guo on their websites. Guo used the nonprofit organizations to amass followers who were aligned with his purported campaign against the Chinese Communist Party and who were also inclined to believe Guo's statements regarding investment and money-making opportunities. In truth and in fact, and as Guo well knew, he and others provided false and materially misleading information to promote these opportunities and to defraud Guo's followers and other victims. At all relevant times, William J., the defendant, was a dual citizen of Hong Kong and the United Kingdom. He principally resided in the United Kingdom while traveling to the U.S. and elsewhere. J. owned and operated numerous companies and investment vehicles central to the scheme and served as its financial architect and key money launderer. These two entities are going to be an issue. The Rule of Law Society and the Rule of Law um, Foundation. Oh, we've got the mission right here. Ukraine Rescue, Free Hong Kong, Uyghur, Taiwan Independence. New federal state of China, Miles Guo. Miles Guo, co-founder, speaking, and this is a picture of him speaking at the New York launch. Let's see, what's their news? Their last time they posted news on here was... Oh, there's a, been a board change, and that was in May of 2022. New board member. That's it. All right, let's look at the Rule of Law Society. It looks like the same thing. Yeah, it's kind of like the same website. It lists them as two different. Um, yeah, it looks like the same thing. At all relevant times, blah, 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 I read that. All right, now his chief of staff, who has been working for him, and 
she's been working with them since 2018. She is a citizen of China and has held titles and variety of entities that were instrumentalities of the fraud described in the indictment. For example, Wang has served as the president, treasurer, and secretary of entities and that purportedly manage Guo's money. At certain times relevant to this indictment, Soraka Media Group was, an incorpor- was a corporation based in New York, and Relative One in the indictment, I don't know that person's name, was its ultimate beneficial owner. At certain times relevant to the indictment, GTV Media Group was a purported news-focused social media platform based in New York. GTV was functionally owned and controlled by Miles Guo, although he held no formal position or title at GTV. William J., the defendant, likewise held no formal position or title at GTV, but in fact exercised control over its finances. Soraka was the parent company of GTV. Wang was the executive director of GTV. At certain times relevant to the indictment, G-Club Operations was a purported membership operation based in Puerto Rico and in New York and was functionally owned by Guo, even though he held no formal position there. Jay controlled the finances of it, but he didn't have any name position there. At certain times relevant to the indictment, the Himalaya Exchange was a purported cryptocurrency ecosystem, quote-unquote. Jay founded and operated that system through various entities that he controlled and were based abroad. Guo um, had a, had controlled and owned G clubs and G fashion and had a business relationship with the Himalaya exchange and promoted the Himalaya exchange. All right. Let's get to the really exciting stuff. Well, I don't know if it's, it's exciting, but What it's going through here now is the overview of what's in the indictment and how how these people they had a that I mean that this is just such an amazing fraud scheme that I mean they had a, a farm they had all these different fake businesses and fake loan programs and fake cryptocurrency all designed to rip people off. They were running scams running scams on people. And so I'm going to go ahead and jump to what y'all really want to see, which is this. Federal agents found further down in this indictment, federal agents put in here that they found some um, interesting items when they raided Miles Guo's $67 million penthouse. Among those items, they found, here, I'll open this up in another tab so y'all can see it more easily. There we go. In his Manhattan mansion, they recovered $394,000 in cash, 5,000 pounds, 188 Hong Kong, and $250 in yen, approximately 156 gold coins alongside a receipt which indicated that the coins were valued at approximately $109,000. All these things were found inside a safe in a closet that was attached to what appears to be Guo's dressing room. So, a half million dollars. That dressing room stored approximately 30 
Brioni custom-made suits, each of which bore the hand-stitched words Brioni for Miles Guo inside the jackets. So 30 custom-to-him suits by a brand I've never even heard of because I'm not rich enough to know about it. Um, They found a copy of Guo's expired United Arab Emirates passport. They found a cell phone scrambler. They found 10 computers, 16 external media devices, and nine cell phones. Inside his bedroom, they discovered a cell phone that was concealed underneath his bed, his mattress, which is the $35,000 mattress. They found 15 other cell phones, 14 other external storage devices, and four more computers. They also found gold pins with symbols of the Chinese Communist Party. At his Greenwich estate, they found a 2021 Lamborghini Aventador, which was purchased with fraud proceeds. They found three computers, five cell phones, and 13 USB drives. In his co-defendant, Wang's condominium, they found an expired Republic of Vanuatu passport and a Vanuatu a non-citizen ID card, which were kept in Wang's safe. They found stamps in the passport to, that reflect Guo's travel to New England in March 2017 using his Vanuatu passport and further reflect that Guo was entitled to remain in, uh, in England. Now, there's more. He was entitled to remain there for up to six months. In Wang's safe, they also found an expired Hong Kong passport, um, and a passport that reflected substantial travel by Guo to Hong Kong. The valid Hong Kong passport reflects travel to England, Scotland, the Bahamas, and Japan in 2016. Also in his chief of staff safe, they found $138,000 in cash plus additional foreign currency. And they found printed documents that reflect bank accounts balance it, bank account balances as of March 13th, 2023, two days before their arrest for various entities that the government alleges Wang managed and controlled, which are all associated with the charged fraud. Those documents reflect balances of at least $34 million. Now, I'd like to draw your attention to these pins. These are Chinese Communist Party 100% gold pins and a Chinese military PLA pin. I've already told you before that Guo is a... He's not exactly... He's not exactly anti-CCP. He's a complete fraud when it comes to his opposition to CCP. Uh, and so are his co-conspirators. Um, his co-conspirators, Jay and Wang, are Chinese Communist Party members. And, um, well, he's the dude's a total fraud. Here are some images of the cash they found in the safe and more images of the cash 
There's that mattress and the cell phone that was hidden underneath it. I don't think I included the other image over here. This second, I'm going to grab, I'm going to grab this image to show y'all something else. Where did I? I forgot that I didn't post this one on True Social. At least I don't think I did. Um, sometimes you got. Sometimes I kind of hold back on True Social because you just end up having to deal with a lot of black pillars and people yelling. There's a lot of yelling that goes on on True Social, unfortunately. Or at least that's how I interpret it. <laughs> I post something there's always people in the comments that are just like re <laughs> like so mad about it okay you remember this lady Dr. Lee Ming Yong do you remember her she used to be on War Room a whole bunch she used to be on War Room talking about the uh, about the virus I saw somewhere she said that she stopped appearing on War Room because Guo told Bannon not to have her on there. Something like that. And it's because Dr. Li Ming Yan says Guo is a fake defector. She's been saying that he was a fraud this whole time. These pins, she says... These pins found in Miles Guo Wingui's home are pure gold pins of the PLA flag and badge with identification certificates and special numbers. According to Chinese military laws, it's illegal to use PLA flag or badge for commercial use. This indicates that Guo is a PLA agent and a fake dissident. And I think she's right. I do think she's right. Another image. This is a screenshot from a uh, stream that Miles Guo did back in 2016 and 2017, something like that. It was early on, before War Room. And he says in here, quote, This is why we do not mean to topple the Communist Party nor the government. And this matches testimony he gave just a couple years ago that I shared the other day. Um, where in a separate, a civil action case against him where he got put on the stand and he testified that he is not anti-CCP and that he assured President Xi that he would only go so far in criticizing the, um, the Chinese government. And um, he testified to being a member of uh, not the CCP party, but a CC, an ex, a group that's an extension of the CCP party, which is like the CCP, CP, something like that. Um, I, 
what I think is going on here, guys, is that um, I think Guo is a fake dissident. I think Guo is an is a completely fake dissident. I don't think that he's actually anti CCP. He says in his own words he's not actually CCP, and he said it in more than one place. Um. I think I think he's a complete fraud and I think that um what he actually is what he was actually doing was infiltrating MAGA. I I think that like where I'm at on this right now is that I think Miles Guo was infiltrating MAGA. Yeah. Yeah, I think that Miles Guo and his group are fake dissidents who are actually agents of the CCP or an element within CCP. And I think those gold pins are just another really strong indicator of that. If those gold pins, if those gold pins ex like existed on their own, but there was nothing else to go by, right? Like if we didn't have transcript of miles guo pleading the fifth when asked about his relationship with the ccp if we didn't have his chief of staff and his uh money man his accountant both being ccp party members right now current ccp party members if we didn't have a number of other things that show he's not exactly anti-ccp then i would think that those gold pins may just be a collector's item like maybe he maybe somebody he helped escape from China gifted those to him as a thank you for helping them get out right like it was just a a keepsake or something like that um then if that was the case then i would think okay those are just collectors items and um He's not, but because, but when you take those pins and you add up his, the transcripts from the other civil action case against him, and you look back at videos he made that were in Chinese or in Mandarin and not in English, when you look into his businesses and what he was doing and how all these businesses are, are set up, all these fraud, fraudulent businesses that he's being charged for were set up to profit off of the dissident community and to steal money from the people he says he's trying to protect and lead. I mean, he's got this whole group of people that are fugitives from China, supposedly the new federal state of China, that he's ripping off for his own benefit, and his family's benefit. So I think that... Miles Guo and his group, what he's actually doing is he's a fraudster who is an agent of the CCP and who infiltrated the MAGA movement. And I think he infiltrated Steve Bannon. And there's no getting around it, guys. Steve Bannon and Miles Guo are close. I don't know how close they close they are. But there are many, many images of them together. Many. And there are... Um, 
it's really concerning. They've done many videos together. Bannon has promoted him as this Chinese dissident and a star and praised him profusely. I mean, none of us would know who Miles Guo is if not for Steve Bannon. That's a fact. None of us would know who he was if not for Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon has also gone onto Miles Guo's programs that are on GTV and other and Himalaya Exchange and um and promote and and spoken on there and um promoted those these businesses that are frauds. And I know that you guys in chat are trying to tell me that Steve Bannon caught Miles Guo and that Steve Bannon set a honey trap for him. And I guys, I don't see any indication of that. I don't see any. I want to believe that. I want to find that information. I want to find reason to believe that Steve Bannon figured this out and exposed Miles Guo and that he is somehow caused Miles Guo to get busted. I don't I don't I don't see I don't see any indication of that. See look, he's he goes on Steve Bannon's programs and says, you can only survive if you take down the CCP. But then when he goes on other pro, whenever he's in court and has to testify under oath, he says either the fit, he pleads the fifth amendment, or he says that he's actually only opposed to part of the CCP. And I showed those, I showed those transcripts on the show the other, t- other day. Um, It's really, really concerning, guys. It's real. It's a big problem. This is a big problem. And I, like I said, I want to believe the best. I want to think that Steve Bannon busted him, but I don't think right now. I don't think that. I don't. I don't see any indication of it. What I do think is that Steve Bannon got infiltrated. I think Miles Guo is. is an agent of the CCP, uh, the bad CCP, the faction of the CCP that is, that President Xi is probably trying to clean up, um, or that we have reason to believe he's trying to clean up. Bannon has commented on this. Bannon has commented on this matter uh, just a little bit. And what he has said has not inspired any confidence to me. He has said that this is crooked DOJ going after anti-CCP people. He says that he himself is indicted and Guo is indicted and Trump is indicted in New York because the DOJ is working for the CCP, which, guys, that's a bunch of bullshit. That's bullshit. I'm sorry, but that's total that's total bullshit from Steve Bannon. Um and I can show you right here just 6 months ago. Just 6 months ago, the same group that Steve Bannon says, the same DOJ that Steve Bannon says is 
working for the CCP and is in the pocket of the CCP and is going after doing the work for them. They've been bought off. October 24th, two Chinese intelligence officers indicted in New York. October 20th of last year, six individuals charged with conspiring to act as illegal agents of China. October 24th, DOJ announces announces 13 charged in cases targeting Chinese spy and influence campaigns. So just six months ago, this same group that Steve Bannon says is crooked and um, the DOJ is bought off by the Chinese government and they're just trying to protect China. That's why they're going after Trump, Guo, and Bannon. Just six months ago, they indicted 13 Chinese spies. So yeah, that isn't, that doesn't work with me. That is that, that, that I felt I, I would honestly, guys, I was really, really disappointed. I was really, really disappointed to hear Steve Bannon use that kind of hyperbole to defend what is going on when what he needs to do, in my opinion, is he, is he needs to break from this guy. Speaking of Statue of Liberty, um, one of the one of the items that was found in Miles Guo's home is a Statue of Liberty that is painted red, and instead, in the book that she is holding, is a um, is Mao's book. Here, I need to find it. I'll show you. I'll show you. See, I don't I don't think Steve Bannon's a bad guy. Okay. I don't think Steve Bannon's a bad guy. I think he's a good guy. And I think he's MAGA. And I think he has done a whole lot of good. Um, I think he has done a whole lot of really good work to inform people. And inform MAGA to get MAGA activated, to keep MAGA informed. And, um, I think that, you know, he's a valuable person in MAGA and what I really would like to see is him separate from Guo and to condemn the fraud and, um, to, you know, just separate, but he isn't. Here we go. One of the things found was are these two Statue of Liberties. One of them is painted red with the Chinese flag and is holding Mao's book. I hear Steve Bannon with them right there. And, you know, I guess they used them as a prop to talk about how this is what the CCP wants to do to America. I get that. But it just doesn't look good that Miles Guo is has this and also the PLA and CCP pins, and also his two top people are CCP party members, and all of these other things. It's, it's bad. So, it's not, it's not good. And, and then what's also not good is that Steve Bannon has been praising Miles Guo for years and promote, I mean, in promoting him. Remember when Parler, when we, when so many people got kicked off of Facebook and Twitter 
and we went to Parlor, how Parlor already had Miles Guo and the Himalaya Exchange and GTV, and Steve Bannon was sharing all of their posts and all this Hunter Hunter Biden laptop stuff. And then they started Gitter. Do you know who the primary money man is behind Gitter? It's Miles Guo. So, yeah, again, I don't think Steve Bannon's bad. I think Steve Bannon got targeted by a CCP infiltration op. And I'm concerned. I'm going to get off that subject. I don't want to trigger I don't want y'all thinking that I'm anti Steve Bannon. I'm not. I just, I, I have real concerns and I feel like we should all be aware. Like, I, I just think everybody should be aware of this. And, um, yeah, look, if I find I'm paying, I'm paying real close attention to the Miles Quill case. If I find anything that leads me to believe that Steve Bannon did a work on Miles Guo and exposed him, then I'm going to present it to you. <laughs> like I'm going to be really excited and I'm going to present it to you and be like, boom, check it out. Steve Bannon was working as an asset and he, he ran a sting op on Miles Guo. Go Steve Bannon. I haven't found anything that leads me to think that anything at all. So Music and fiction post that uh, Steve Bannon got tossed out of the White House by Trump for leaking, and it's very likely this is the reason why his close relationship with Guo. I don't remember if it was for leaking. Um, he did get fired. Well, he got he got told that he was going to be let go and allowed to resign, kind of thing. But what I most remember is that uh, Bannon said that that Steve Bannon was sloppy. And I think that's right. I think that's I think he did get targeted. And hey, it could be that one of the reasons the Trump administration separated from Bannon is because he was sloppy and he had this association with Guo and um, they wanted to separate from him. I don't know. I'll tell you this, guys, if I if if um. If today Steve Bannon was indicted for his part in this Miles Guo thing, I would not be surprised. That's why I'm so worried is that it looks like he's so close to this, he's going to get indicted. And that's why I keep hoping to see a clip of him separating from Miles Guo, distancing himself, something, because that would give me hope that he's not involved. And I'm not seeing that. I'm, man, I'm, I'm worried. I'm worried about it. All right. Shecky2000, thank you very much for being a monthly subscriber. And for the rant, he says, assuming you're correct, what are the net effects of Guo being associated with Bannon? So the effects are that Bannon has, Bannon has promoted him. Bannon has appeared on these and appeared on GTV and promoted it um, on his program and online and social media. Ben has promoted these other fraudulent businesses um, that Guo set up. He's had Guo as, you know, Guo's song as his theme song, take down the CCP as his theme song for his program for years. 
But now we know from transcripts that Guo isn't actually wanting to take down the CCP. He 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 said literally he only wants to take down the 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 Wang Kishan segment of the CCP, which is the anti-corruption segment, which indicted him for fraud and other charges in China. I mean, Bannon has legitimized this guy. So it's bad. Jason of uh, of TGA says something definitely seems off. Fairly sure Dr. Lee and Dongwing J came through DNI via Falun Gong. Seems hard to see how active CCP might penetrate that route undetected. Yeah, doc, I always had a good impression of Dr. Lee, and I noticed that she stopped appearing on that show. And somewhere she has said that it had to do with Guo. She's been calling Guo out for a long time. Um, but I I thought she was always a pretty credible person um, on the program. Liz Jen says, how can Bannon not know his true nature, either on his own or by approached by DOJ, might have flipped like Hunter now staying in character? Suppose that's possible. I suppose I suppose that's possible that he was approached. I mean, you would think Bannon would be aware of all this stuff, especially considering how often they are together. Um But I don't, I don't know. See, I can't, I can't tell. I can't tell part. Of, see, I, I kind of think that maybe Bannon and Navarro, their, their hatred of CCP and their targeting of CCP has make could, could possibly have blinded them to some of this. And because Guo said all the right things about being anti-CCP and he had this network of the dissident group that was supporting him that they were blinded by those things and couldn't quite see all this other stuff that pointed towards Guo not being who he portrayed himself as. I don't know though. Um, Yeah, and Liz, Lizkin, or it's just me. Thank you again for the rant. I'm not sure. I'm worried about Gitter. I think I think this is going to be the end of Gitter because I'm 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 wondering if they're going to track down and find out that the money that was used to start Gitter was fraudulently up fraudulently obtained through these schemes that Guo was running. So that's that's a big problem. Um. It's not good. I'm going to be really happy, though. I'm going to be really happy, though, if it turns out that Bannon isn't a part of this and instead testifies against Guo or um, it turns out that Bannon helped bust him. Um, something, you know, I've, I've pretty much given up on I've given up on Guo not being guilty of these things and these being trumped up charges, because if you read the indictment, it's it's strong. Uh, it's it's pretty bad. Um, it also looks to me, I'm also worried about Bannon because there's a, uh, there's a cryptocurrency that he started with some other people that looks to have been a very similar scam 
to what Guo ran with his crypto scheme. So I'm worried that Bannon got talked into joining a crypto scheme that was basically set up just like Guo's. And the crypto scheme that Bannon is involved in hasn't delivered on any of its promises and has lost 95% of its value. And I'm worried that he got involved in that and that's that's something he's going to get indicted for. It's, it doesn't look good. Um, again, I think Bannon's a good guy and I think he's MAGA. I don't think he's a bad guy. I don't think Bannon is trying to con people. I think that I think he's sloppy and I think he got wrapped up with some people who he shouldn't have gotten wrapped up with. That's my thinking right now. And I'm willing to change it as I get more information, but it makes total sense to me that it makes total sense to me that Bannon would be a target of CCP infiltration. How better to undo the anti CCP sentiment and to damage MAGA media than to have them infiltrate that MAGA media. It makes it would it would be surprising if Bannon wasn't targeted for infiltration, right? So um it's not surprising that, that there was an infiltration op. It makes a lot of sense to me. Okay. Let's keep it up and go ahead and talk about another uncomfortable story. <laughs> Which is this hit piece on Justice Thomas by ProPublica. And I want to grab the actual article. This is a thread. Um, this is a, this is it right there. Okay. It looks to me like Foxhole stopped working. Um, that's twice that's happened recently. I don't know what's going on over there. Um, oh, well. All right. So I'm not telling you all this story about uh, Thomas because I think Thomas is a bad guy. I think Thomas is one of the greatest Supreme Court justices of all time. And I love him very much. But he's also been in Washington, D.C. a very long time. And over that, over those years, I think that the way D.C. works has, you know, he's learned to operate within that system. And this piece, you may remember a couple weeks ago, I think last week, there was um, a change to regulations where uh, justices and judges have... It, it, they have to report on um, their con they have to report contributions and uh, tightening up what judges are required to report and justices are required to report um, as far as gifts and uh, expenses and stuff. So things are tightening up in the judicial system as far as those things. People on Foxhole say things are good over there. Okay, good. When I'm looking over there, it looks like it's not working, but um, I'm glad it's working then. All right. So it seems like that news hit and then this article is coming right after it 
probably related. This is a professional piece where if you uh, you scroll down, it shows you it's going to play some videos. So let me scroll up and start right here. For over 20 years, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas has been treated to luxury vacations by billionaire Republican donor Harlan Crow. He goes on cruises in far-flung loca- locales on Crow's yacht. He flies on his private jet and keeps company with Crow's powerful friends at the billionaire's private resort. The extent of Crow's largesse has never been revealed until now. This story is by Joshua Kaplan, Justin Elliott, and Alex Merjeski. In late June 2019, right after the U.S. Supreme Court released its final opinion of the term, Justice Clarence Thomas boarded a large private jet headed to Indonesia. He and his wife were going on vacation, nine days of island hopping in a volcanic archipelago on a super yacht staffed by a coterie of attendants and a private chef. If Thomas had chartered the plane and the 162-foot yacht himself, the total cost of the trip would have exceeded a half million dollars. Fortunately for him, that wasn't necessary. He was on vacation with real estate magnate and Republican mega-donor Harlan Crow, who owned the jet and the yacht too. There's a picture of them on the trip. For more than two decades, Thomas has accepted luxury trips virtually every year from the Dallas businessman without disclosing them. Documents and interviews now show. A public servant who has a salary of $285,000, he has vacationed on Crow's super yacht around the globe. He flies on Crow's Bombardier Global 5000 jet. He has gone with Crow to the Bohemian Grove, the exclusive California all-male retreat, and to Crow's sprawling ranch in East Texas. And Thomas typically spends about a week every summer at Crow's private resort in the Adirondacks. The extent and frequency of Crow's apparent gifts to Thomas have no known precedent in the modern history of the U.S. Supreme Court. Well, that may be true, but they're not, they haven't been required to report this stuff before. So for some uh, perspective, let's see what the other justices are getting to. Thomas is the first one they've done an expose on talking about this stuff. So of course it's unprecedented. (laughs) <laughs> he's the first one to be uh, to be uh, talked about with this in this respect. These trips appeared nowhere on Thomas's financial disclosures. His failure to report the flights appears to violate a law passed after Watergate that requires justices, judges, members of Congress, and federal officials to disclose most gifts. Two ethics lawyer experts said. Ethics law experts said. He also should have disclosed his trips on the yacht, these experts said. All right, pause, pause, pause. Because we have a tell. Keywords. I'm going to zoom in. Zoom in on this article. Oh, it's going to change the formatting. That's annoying. First tell, these trips appeared. 
Nowhere on Thomas's financial disclosures, all right, do they need to be? Is it required that they appear on his disclosures? That's the question. His failure to report appears to violate a law. Well, that's the key word. It appears to violate this law, according to two experts that aren't named so far. All right. Because it appears that way, and because they have these two ethics lawyers who, ex, ex, ethics law experts who say it does, then they're going to do this whole smear piece on Justice Thomas. But we're going to go through it and let's deal with it. Thomas did not respond to a detailed list of questions. In a statement, Crow acknowledged that he'd extended hospitality to the Thomases over the years, but said that Thomas never asked for any of it. And it was, quote, no different from the hospitality we have extended to our many other dear friends. Through his largesse, Crow has gained a unique form of access, spending days in private with one of the most powerful people in the country. By accepting the trips, Thomas has broken longstanding norms for judges' conduct, ethics experts, and four current or retired judges said. What you want? What you want to bet these uh, ethics experts and uh, retired judges? What you want to bet they're wacko leftists who hate Justice Thomas? <laughs> "Quote: It's incomprehensible to me that someone would do this," said Nancy Gertner, a retired federal judge appointed by President Bill Clinton. When she was on the bench, Gertner said she was so cautious about appearances that she wouldn't mention her title when making dinner reservations. Oh, how good of her! Virginia Cantor a former government ethics lawyer who served in administrations of both parties said Thomas quote, seems to have completely disregarded his higher ethical obligations. Quote, when a justice's lifestyle is being subsidized by the rich and famous, it absolutely corrodes public trust. Quite frankly, it makes my heart sink. ProPublica uncovered the details of Thomas's travels by drawing from flight records, internal documents distributed to Crow's employees, and interviews with dozens of people ranging from his super yacht staff to members of the secretive Bohemian Club to an Indonesian scuba diving instructor. Federal judges sit in a unique position of public trust. They have lifetime tenure, a privilege intended to ins insulate them from the pressures and potential corruption of politics. A code of conduct for federal judges below the Supreme Court required them to avoid even, quote, the appearance of impropriety. Members of the high court, Chief Justice John Roberts has written, consult that code for guidance. The Supreme Court is left almost entirely to police itself. as true. There are few restrictions on what gifts justices can accept. That's in contrast to the other branches of government. Members of Congress are generally prohibited from taking gifts worth $50 or more and would need pre-approval from an ethics committee to take many of the, the trips Thomas has accepted from Crow. Thomas's approach to ethics has already attracted public attention. Last year, Thomas didn't recuse himself from cases that touched on the involvement of his wife, Jenny, in efforts to overturn the 2020 election. She wasn't involved in trying to overturn it. So that's silly. That's just a that's just a smear. 
just because she sent text messages and make comments on it, she has no power. So it, it's nothing. They just hate Thomas and his wife. Crow met Thomas after he became a justice. The pair have become genuine friends, according to people who know both men. Over the years, some details of Crow's relationship with the Thomases have emerged. In 2011, the New York Times reported on Crow's generosity towards the justice. That same year, Politico revealed that Crow had given a half million dollars to a Tea Party group founded by Jenny Thomas, which also paid her a $120,000 salary. But the full scale of Crow's benefactions has never been revealed. Long an influential figure in pro-business conservative politics, Crow has spent millions on ideological efforts to shape the law and the judiciary. Crow and his firm have not had a case before the Supreme Court since Thomas joined it. Boom. Boom. Okay. This is important. You can't draw a picture where these these uh, trips and stuff are making it where Roberts or Ju or Justice Thomas is being is you is like being bribed to rule favorably for Crow because Crow and his firm have not had a case before Justice Thomas since before Thomas joined the court or since since he joined it. And the, though the court periodically hears major cases that do impact the real estate industry in general, the details of his discussions with Thomas over the years remain unknown, and it is unclear if Crow has had any influence on, justice, on Justice's views. So you can't draw a line in here and say that Justice Thomas ruled favorably or disfavorably in one case or another, and it's because of Crow being involved in the case. There haven't been any Crow-involved cases that Thomas has had before him. It would be kind of nice if there had been one and Thomas had recused. Because that would, that would, that would be a strong indicator of Thomas's ethics and that he wasn't allowing his friendship with Crow to interfere with his presiding over the court. But there hasn't been a case for him to do that in. In his statement, Crow said that he and his wife have never discussed a pending or lower court case with Thomas. Quote, we have never sought to influence Justice Thomas on any legal or political issue. In Thomas's public appearances over the years, he has presented himself as an everyman with modest taste. Quote, I don't have any problem with going to Europe, but I prefer the United States and I prefer seeing the regular parts of the United States, Thomas said in a recent interview for a documentary about his life. Quote, I prefer RV parks. I prefer the Walmart parking lots to the beaches and things like that. There's something normal to me about it. I come from regular stock and I prefer that. I prefer being around that. I can understand that. I was thinking about this quote. I was thinking about this hit piece and presenting it to y'all this morning while I was making coffee, which I'm, which I'm out of. Um, I was thinking about this quote here in this hit piece and how what they're trying to do is they're trying to set up Thomas to be a fraud in who he presents himself to be, that he presented himself in a documentary as the everyman and just a regular guy who likes Walmart and RV parks and all these things. But then they're presenting this, showing this where he flies on a 
bombardier private jet and goes on these super yachts and goes on these extravagant world vacations. And I was thinking about how I get, I get how they're trying to juxtapose those things and make the point that one or the other is the real Thomas. But I think they're both the real justice Thomas. And I was thinking about with me, like I prefer road trips with my family and going to the mountains and going to cabins. I like fishing and hunting. I like camping. Um, I like going to racetracks, especially, um, IMSA where I can pay like $25 and park my car like track side and tailgate and watch the race and bring some sandwiches with me and my boys, you know, like sandwiches and some, some sodas and some beer and just like chill out all day and get sunburned watching race cars go by. Um, I like simple stuff like that, but if I had a rich friend who could get me to the Monaco Grand Prix, do you think I'd turn that down? <laughs> I mean, I would totally take a free trip to the Monaco Grand Prix with a friend and, um, and, uh, enjoy the race and get put up in an expensive hotel and eat super expensive food. Go to, I mean, a, a ticket, a ticket to that race is like $1,500 or $2,000. Um, like I would totally go on a trip on a super yacht in the Mediterranean with a good friend. If, if, you know, like if I had this billionaire friend who was like, yo, I want you to come with me on this extreme, extremely expensive trip and all this stuff. I wouldn't turn that down. I would go do that. But that doesn't mean that I'm not still the same guy who likes going on camping trips and road tripping across America. So it's like. I get the point they're making, but it's pretty easy for any of us to totally squash it because if we had a billionaire friend, we would probably go on vacations with them and be enjoy the extravagance. But we would still return to our regular everyday American trips and vacations, right? We would enjoy both. Now, back to this smear piece. Crowds, crows, crows, private lakeside resort, Camp Top Ridge, sits in a remote corner of the Adirondacks in upstate New York, closed off from the public by ornate wooden gates. The 105-acre property, once the summer retreat of the same heiress who built Mar-a-Lago. Whoa! That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Inside this retreat... There's clear evidence of Crow and Thomas's relationship, a painting of the two men at the resort sitting outside outdoors, smoking cigars alongside conservative political operatives. A statue of a native American man arms outstretched stands at the center of the image, which is photographic in its clarity. This is actually a painting right here um, of them chilling outside, um, smoking cigars and drinking adult beverages and golly what I would give to be there drinking scotch and smoking cigars and listening to justice Thomas talk about anything. <laughs> I don't care what it is. I would love to be there and just listen, just listen. The painting captures a scene from around five years ago, said Sharif Tarabay, the artist who was commissioned by Crow to paint it. Thomas has va been vacationing at Top Ridge virtually every summer for more than two decades. 
according to interviews with more than a dozen visitors and former resort staff, as well as records obtained by ProPublica. He has fished with a guide hired by Crow and danced at the concerts put on by musicians Crow brought in. Thomas has slept at perhaps the resort's most elegant accommodation, an opulent lodge overhanging Upper St. Regis Lake. The mountainous area draws billionaires from across the globe. Rooms at a nearby hotel built by the Rockefeller start at $2,250 a night. Crow's invitation-only resort is even more exclusive. Guests stay for free. Okay, boom, hey. Guests at this exclusive resort stay for free. And enjoy Top Ridge's more than 25 fireplaces, three boathouses, clay tennis court and batting cage, along with more eccentric features, a life-size replica of Harry Potter, (laughs) their character Hagrid's hut, bronze statues of gnomes, and a 1950s-style soda fountain where Crow's staff make milkshakes. So wait a minute. Wait a minute. It's common for guests to stay there free. That helps show that this isn't just special treatment of Thomas. That this is how Crow treats his friends, doesn't it? That's actually a really good defense against this piece that Crow can bring out and say, look, I give all of my friends free vacations at this resort. That's why I have it. Crow's access to the justice extends to anyone the businessman chooses to invite along. Thomas's frequent vacations at Top Ridge have brought him into contact with corporate executives and political activists. During just one trip in July 2017, Thomas's fellow guests included executives at Verizon and Price Waterhouse Coopers, major Republican donors, and one of the leaders of the American Enterprise Institute. The painting of Thomas at Top Ridge shows him in conversation with Leonard Leo, the Federalist Society leader, regarded as an architect of the Supreme Court's recent turn to the right. In his statement to ProPublica, Crow said, quote, He is unaware of any of our friends ever lobbying or seeking to influence Justice Thomas on any case, and I would never invite anyone who I believe had any intention of doing that. These are gatherings of friends, Crow said. Crow has deep connections in conservative politics, the heir to a real estate fortune. Crow oversees his family's business empire and recently named Marxism as his greatest fear. One of mine, too. He was an early patron of the powerful anti-tax group Club for Growth and has been on the board of AEI for over 25 years. He also sits on the board of the Hoover Institution, another conservative think tank. He's been a major Republican donor for years, and this hit piece is just about just as much about smearing him as it is Justice Thomas. It is true that AEI and the Hoover Institution do publish scholarship advancing conservative legal theories and fellows at the think tanks occasionally file amicus briefs with the Supreme Court. Thomas has been on the court since 1991, is deeply conservative, and is known for his originalism. While he has been resolute in his general approach, his views on specific matters have sometimes evolved. Recently, Thomas harshly criticized one of his own earlier opinions as he embraced a legal theory, newly popular on the right, that would limit government regulation. 
Small evolutions in a justice's thinking or even select words used in an opinion can affect entire bodies of law, and shifts in Thomas's view can be especially consequential. He's been he's taken unorthodox legal positions. Actually, his positions have been very orthodox. They're just unorthodox in the opinion of the left. Soon after Crow met Thomas three, dec- three decades ago, he began lavishing the justice with gifts, including a $19,000 Bible that once belonged to Frederick Douglass, which Thomas disclosed. Okay. You know, if Thomas had not disclosed that, that wouldn't be good. But Thomas did disclose it. Recently, Crow gave Thomas a portrait of the justice and his wife, according to Tara Bay, who painted it. Crow's foundation also gave $105,000 to Yale Law School, Thomas's alma mater, for the Justice Thomas portrait tax filing show. Okay, guess what? If those tax filings are showing that, that means he reported it, doesn't it? Crow said that he and his wife have funded a number of projects that celebrate Thomas. Quote, we believe it is important to make sure as many people as possible learn about him, remember him, and understand the ideals for which he stands. To trace Thomas's trips around the world on Crow's super yacht, ProPublica spoke, spoke to more than 15 former yacht workers and tour guides and obtained records documenting the, tr- the ship's travels. On the e- Indonesian trip in the summer of 2019, Thomas flew to the country on Crow's jet according to another passenger on the plane. Clarence and Jenny Thomas were traveling with Crow and his wife, Kathy. Crow's yacht, the McKellar Rose, decked out with motorboats and a giant inflatable rubber duck, met the travelers at a fishing town on the island of Flores. During the Lesser Sunda Islands, the group made stops at Komodo National Park, home of the eponymous reptiles, at the volcanic lakes of Mount Kelamutu, and at Pantai Miko, a spit a pristine beach accessible only by boat. Another guest was Mark Paoletta, a friend of the Thomases, then serving as general counsel of the Office of Management and Budget and the administration of Donald Trump. Paoletta was bound by executive branch ethics rules at the time and told ProPublica that he discussed the trip with an ethics lawyer at his agency before accepting Crow's invitation. Quote, based on that counsel's advice, I reimbursed Harlan for the cost. Pauletta said in an email that he did not respond to a question about how much Crow, how much he paid Crow, though. So there's a big difference here that's illustrated. Um, Justice Thomas isn't required to do those things because he sits in the judiciary and the reporting requirements aren't the same as they are for the executive branch. So Pauletta was under a different set of regulations that required him to report to the ethics committee or whatever, or get counsel on it. And then he ended up reimbursing it just to be sure that he was on the up and up. All right, let's go to the next consequential part. Thomas has been, okay, well, Georgia's his hometown or Georgia home state. He's also been on a cruise to New Zealand roughly a decade ago. Crow's policy, okay, check this out. Crow's policy was that guest, plural, didn't pay, former Michaela Rowe staff said. 
You don't need to worry about this. It's all covered. So that's how he treated everybody he invited on his yacht. As much as they're trying to smear Thomas for this, you can't say that Justice Thomas was getting special treatment from Crow when the guest on the yacht were all treated the same, just like the guest at that Top Ridge resort in the Adirondacks were all treated the same. Everything was on the house because the billionaire liked treating his friends as guests and paying for everything for them. Thomas didn't report any of the trips ProPublica identified on his annual financial disclosures. Ethics, ethics experts said the law clearly requires disclosure for private jet flights and Thomas appears to have violated it. Appears. Appears. Justices are generally required to publicly report all gifts worth more than $415, defined as anything of value that isn't fully reimbursed. There are exceptions, though. If someone hosts a justice at their own property, free food and lodging doesn't have to be disclosed. Boom. That would exempt dinner at a friend's house. The exemption never applied to transportation, such as private jet flights, a fact that was made explicit in recently updated filing instructions for the judiciary. Two ethics law experts told ProPublica that yacht, Thomas's yacht cruises, a form of transportation, also require disclosure. Quote, if Justice Thomas received free travel on private planes and yachts, failure to report the gifts is a violation of the disclosure law, said Kedrick Payne, a senior director for the ethics at the Campaign Legal Center, which says it's nonprofit, but it's probably, it's probably a leftist organization. It's supposed to be nonprofit and unbiased, but... I doubt it. Thomas did once report receiving a private jet trip from Crow on his disclosure in 97. I wonder if he reported it in 97 and was then told he didn't have to report such things. And so he's just been operating under that advice. The expert said Thomas's stay at Top Ridge may have required disclosure too, in part because Crow owns it not personally, but through a company. Until recently, the judiciary ethics guidance didn't explicitly address the ownership issue. The recent update to the filing instructions clarifies that disclosure is required for such days. ProPublica identified five trips in addition to the Indonesia one. On July 7th last year, Crow's jet made a 40-minute stop at Dulles and then flew to a small airport near Top Ridge, then returned to Dallas six days later. Thomas was at the resort that week for his regular summer vacation. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Thomas has even used the plane for a three-hour trip. On February 11th, 2016, the plane flew from Dallas to Dulles and then to New Haven, Connecticut, before flying back later that afternoon. Jet charter companies told ProPublica that renting the plane would be the equivalent of costing $70,000. Thomas spoke at a lectern. There's a uh, da, 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 da. okay. So 
I wanted to present this because this is a hit piece on Thomas as much as it's a hit piece on um, Crow, uh, this guy Crow. And um, there is a problem here in that according to this regulation, they need to re he needed to report some of this. Uh, Justin Ellis Elliott, which is one of the reporters that worked in this piece said for anyone in the weeds on the Thomas travel story, this is the text of the law that ethics lawyers told us he violated gifts such as private jet travel need to be reported unless they are food, lodging or entertainment received as personal hospitality. This is it right here. And it says, as far as gifts go. The identity of the source, a brief description, the value of all gifts aggregating more than the minimal value, $250 or whichever is greater. Any gift with a hundred, uh, anything under a hundred dollars doesn't need to be reported. Here's the text of the law. Each report filed pursuant to 13 title in general, kind of income. So, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what I think. I don't, I don't know that he violated this. It could be he did, guys. It could be. It could be that Thomas messed up. Okay? I think it's likely that all the justices can be uh, gigged on this, right? I think it's probably true that all of the justices have run afoul of this at some point because this has they've never been required to report this stuff before now. So I think it's likely that all of the justices a similar piece could be written about them. It's just that justice Thomas is getting targeted because it's justice Thomas and it's crow. This guy crow right here, who was a mega donor and been on the board of AEI for so long. And the court has lurched conservative and overturned Roe v. Wade and a number of super other super important positions. And so the left is mad and they're trying to smear Thomas. Um, it could be that Thomas really has messed up here. And I bet the other justices have too. And we're probably going to find it, find out about this, about all, something about all the justices. I would feel a lot better about this. If justice Thomas had reported this stuff had, had made it clear. Right. Like I would, I would, I would feel better if, if, but if he's, if he's done everything he's required to do by law, then he's in the clear for it. And the only thing, the only thing I can think of is that like in regards to this guy giving him all these gifts is it really does sound like one, they are friends Two, this guy treats all of his friends the exact same way that he treats Thomas. So Yeah, I mean I I think personally I think Thomas maybe should have reported this not because he was required to but just because it was it would uh help alleviate any suspicion of of um violating any ethics but he wasn't required to report it and Yeah. 
uncomfortable story for for us because we love Thomas so much. But I do think it's important to be familiar with what the smears are and to read them and find where the uh, the tells are that things aren't as bad as what the the headlines say. So all the media's you know they're going to run with the story that Thomas did this and they're going to tell you that. They're going to try to emphasize that he he took all these gifts and he didn't report it He's and whatnot. And it's real swampy. I'm not sure that it is, though. Wait till they take a look at the other justices. <laughs> all right, guys. Um, I have a little bit of time. Normally I need to end the show right now, but today I don't need to because um, both both kids are out of school and my wife is home. She's off work today um, for the start of the Easter weekend. They're also out of school next week. So I'm trying to, my schedule for next week, is I haven't decided on my stream schedule for next week because it's spring break for both my boys. Um, I'll, I'll post on my socials what my... Um, what it's going to be, but I want to hit three stories before um, I leave, before I end the show. There's three more stories I want to cover real quick. If you guys like the show today, please hit the thumbs up over on Rumble. Y'all helped me get up. Um, Y'all helped me get up to like almost the top 10 on the Wednesday show. Like I was like um at number 14 or 12 or something from Wednesday's show. So thank you guys very much for hitting the thumbs up. Um, if you like it, hit the thumbs up, share it. If you want to support the show, um, go to, uh, go to, go to the description. You'll find my link from my, buy me a coffee, my merch store, bensonhoneyfarms.com, my Substack, all of those things. If you want to support the show, those are the best ways to do it. And, uh, really appreciate it guys. I do think, you know, the hit piece on Justice Thomas, they may be trying to smear Justice Thomas first because there's a whole bunch of other stuff coming about the other justices. So they want to go ahead and smear Thomas before the, the other stuff comes out. Um, either way, I find it interesting. And I think it's best to deal with these things. I think it's I think it's best to go ahead and deal with the smear pieces and cut them up. So, all right. You guys may remember this story about USPC, USCP, U.S. Capitol Police Officer Michael Riley. Michael Riley's that guy who was the first cop to respond to the J6 pipe bombs. He was the first officer on scene with the pipe bombs. And he later instructed a January 6th person who he was somehow familiar with he instructed that person to delete their social media messages and to try and cover up the fact that they went inside the Capitol. And then he was indicted. He's the only USCP officer who has been indicted for his role in the events of January 6th. I believe he's the only one. Pretty sure he is. And he has now been convicted of obstruction and the DOJ is seeking 27 months in jail for him. So he'll probably get a year and a half, a year, I guess. Not really sure. Um, 
but he, he instructed someone, um, I think it was Jacob, Jacob Hiles. Yeah. Yeah. Defendant Michael Angelo Riley, a U.S. Capitol Police officer with more than 25 years experience, betrayed his oath and oath to protect and defend the Constitution, and he undermined the very institutions he was sworn to protect. It doesn't mention him being the first person to appear at the pipe bombs, but what he did, Jacob Hiles was at J6, and he was wearing protective goggles and a Kevlar vest and was one of the rioters. Defendant Riley was on scene on January 6th and saw firsthand the extent of violence, damage, and harm inflicted. The defendant tried to help Hiles destroy evidence and avoid prosecution. And two weeks later, when the defendant learned that he too was under investigation, he continued to obstruct and destroy evidence on his own. It says destroy evidence of his own criminal conduct and concocting a false story to conceal his actions. For this conduct, this court should impose a 27-month sentence. I, th- It's just crazy to me. It, it can't be coincidence. It can't be coincidence that the same cop who was the first person on scene at the J6 pipe bomb, bombs, plural, is also the first USCP officer convicted and was destroying evidence of his own criminality that day and of that defendant, Jacob Hiles. And it just makes me wonder, there's got to be some connection here. There's got to be some connection between him, Jacob Hiles, and whoever is behind the J6 pipe bombs. It's, there's just got to be, man. Like, there's this some, there's got to be more to this story. Like, maybe Hiles had something to do with it, or... If they found Hiles, it would lead them to whoever planned the J6 pipe bombs. So it's just, it just can't, it just can't be a, a coincidence. Anyway, he got convicted and um, DOJ is seeking 27 months in jail for him. I'm going to save this one. That's going to be my last one. All right. So Delaware judge has rule has told the uh, has told Dominion. I mentioned that uh, I think on the last show or the show before that the Fox Dominion lawsuit is going to trial. A Delaware judge has told Fox that if asked, he's inclined to subpoena and require Rupert Murdoch. Lachlan Murdoch and others that are on the board, including Paul Ryan to appear in court for live testimony. Wouldn't you guys love to see Paul Ryan on the stand getting destroyed by hostile lawyers for Fox's reporting around the election of 2020? Could be fun. And Kim Sachs pointed out they also have agreed that Fox News, Fox News has agreed that they're going to let their host testify. So we're going to get to see Tucker Carlson, Maria Bartiromo, Lou Dobbs, Janine Pirro, and Sean Hannity testify in this Dominion case. 
this could be really fun. This could be a lot of fun. Um, and it's interesting because as MAGA, we're kind of hostile to Fox News and also to Dominion, but less so Fox News. But we're still kind of like, yeah, let's put Paul Ryan on the stand and watch two people, two groups of people we don't like go at it. Like, let's watch Dominion lawyers go after Paul Ryan. We don't like we're we're going to root for both of them. We're going to be rooting against both of them kind of thing. Um, it's an interesting dynamic. Um, but I, I find this case pretty interesting and I think it'll be a fun prospect to see these people on the stand. Next national security officials. Now I, I talked about this on devolution power out there at night, but it's still in my mind. National security officials tell special counsel Trump was repeatedly warned. He did not have the authority to seize voting machines. That's right. He didn't. They didn't have the authority to seize voting machines. And that famous December 18th meeting with Flynn and all these other people, Chad Wolf and National Security uh, Advisor O'Brien and all these people that were in the Oval Office and the and the uh, the draft executive order that was never signed. I just I just think that what happened is they they pushed that they pushed that to where they wanted to, they wanted to have that discussion. They wanted to have the discussion about whether or not they could seize the machines. And they wanted to have it because they wanted to prevent the Biden administration from doing it. They didn't have, I don't think they had the discussion about seizing the machines because they actually wanted to. I think they had the discussion in the draft executive order in order to get White House counsel to rule that, no, you don't have the authority to. You don't have the authority to seize those things from the states. They don't belong to the federal government. You would need a court to order it. You can't use an executive order to do it. And I think they did that because... When Trump wins in 2024, the left is going to demand that Biden seize the machines. The left is going to demand that the certification get delayed. Everything that we saw happen in November and December and January of 2020, back to that election, the, it's going to all flip onto the left and they're going to be screaming election fraud in November 2024 and 20, in December. They're going to be asking for the Biden administration to delay certifying the vote, to seize the machines, to investigate all these places that they think shouldn't have gone for Trump. It's going to be a complete flip, I think. And the value of the Trump administration exploring this idea of seizing the machines is going to be referenced and it's going to be in the mind of the public, they've already been educated that no, they can't do that. I think the same media and people who are bashing the Trump administration for their efforts to quote unquote overturn the 2020 election are going to be screaming for those same things to be done by the Biden administration in 2024. I think that's why they did this. 
Now, the line that I'm really thinking about here, and I mentioned this on Devo Power Hour, that I am still thinking about. I can't stop thinking about it. Is right here. Without the privilege shield, former officials must answer questions about their interactions and conversations with the former president, including what he was told about the lack of evidence of election fraud and legal remedies he could pursue. That line of questioning goes to the heart of Special Counsel Smith's challenge in any criminal case he might bring. To prove that Trump and his allies pursued their efforts despite knowing their fraud claims were false or their gambits gambits weren't lawful. To bring any potential criminal charge, prosecutors would have to overcome Trump's public claim that he believed then and now that fraud really did cost him the election. So, Jack Smith, in order to bring any criminal charge against the Trump, anybody in the Trump admin, particularly against Trump, he has to investigate the 2020 election fraud. He has to. Because he would have to prove that Trump either really did believe the claims that it, that it was stolen from him by fraud or prove that Trump knew it wasn't that way and he was lying about it being fraudulently stolen from him. But if Trump truly did believe that it was stolen from him, why did he believe that? And Jack Smith would have to find that out. And if Smith can figure out why Trump believed the election had been stolen, then maybe he figures out that it was stolen. Since this special counsel was appointed, I've been paying close attention to it, noting every report, about who's been in and out of grand juries and who's been added up, added to staff it. And I remember specifically in December, a subpoena went out for text messages, emails, and all communications that had anything to do with Trump and people that were talking to him about election fraud. And it included Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis and a list of like two dozen people And they were two dozen people who were all educating the American people about election fraud and were arguing that there was too much fraud in the 2020 election and it had been stolen from Trump and were in in pursuit of evidence that it had been stolen. And Jack Smith wanted all of their text messages and emails and documents. And back then when I saw that, I shared it. And I shared it with uh, some friends, and one of them was Brian Cates. And ever since then, me and Brian Cates have been telling people, Jack Smith is investigating the 2020 election. This right here is telling you that he is. And that's why I can't stop thinking about it. And then you see Trump bashing 
Jack Smith and saying, he's a psychopath. He's a monster. He's horrible. It's unfair. It's another witch hunt. <laughs> and I think he's given Jack Smith cover to investigate the 2020 election. So. All right, guys, that's the end of the show. I saw a, um, I saw a post from a genealogy girl. Good morning, genealogy girl and mermaid miss K. Good morning. Um, okay. Carolyn younger. Okay. Yeah, Babe Wichter got banned off of uh, Twitter, and it sucks. She was one of my favorite follows. And I'm trying to remember Carolyn Younger. I I can't remember if I've read that thread about her or not. I remember reading about her. I don't remember if I read Genealogy Girl's thread about her. Um, I'll trace that back. I'll trace that. I'm going to, I'm going to go. Thank you for that genealogy girl. I'm going to, I'm going to go take a look at it because, um, I've got some data points in my mind that are starting to activate. I'm going to, I'm going to go in, uh, I'm going to go and look into that and see if I recall it. I may have read her thread and I've just forgotten, but, um, yeah. All right, fam. I need to grab my exit music. Where'd it go? Where'd it go? Guys, y'all have a great Easter weekend. Enjoy it. This has been an absolutely historical week. She's still on Twitter. She didn't get that. She changed her account. I thought I thought she got banned. Because I remember looking for her not too long ago, and I thought that she was banned. Um. Okay. Yeah, tag tag me um or whatever. So, all right guys, y'all have a great Easter weekend. I can hear my boys going crazy upstairs. I don't know if y'all can hear them, but I better go check on them. Uh, <laughs> God God bless you all. Y'all have a great weekend. Remember, we're not going to win every battle, but we are going to win this war. So, God bless each and every one of you. I'll see you next week. <laughs>